Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is Tim Foss and Beth Mantle, the maven of our Twitter account, uh, which has gotten extremely pop culture this last couple of weeks. I love it. Uh, I don't get half the references, but Beth, thank you for making Sounder Heart seem young and hip. I'm just out here to spread the good news of Taylor Swift. Yeah. Uh, she definitely I, doesn't have enough fans. No, she's a lot of people Very don't know about her. underground. Yeah. Under, underground sleeper. Uh, she's going to be big someday. Someday. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of these days. Uh, so Sounders coming off a pretty nice two to one win over RSL. Uh, that's two wins this week. Uh, they are three points away from completing their second perfect week of the season. And yes, I, I know the pedants out there are going to point out that eight days is longer than a week. I think everyone knows what we're talking about here, right? Like we can all agree that if you play on the weekend and the midweek and the weekend it doesn't actually matter how many days you that takes it's a week but how else are they going to discount the sounder's success right if it's not eight days in a week yeah last time they did this someone came someone said to me what am i missing here sir you're not missing any i realized that it was eight days sir sir uh anyway uh i thought this was the scoreline was not comprehensive and I, and you could be, and I think the result itself was maybe not comprehensive, but it was a comprehensive performance. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think I mentioned it in my recap. You and I talked about it offline, Jeremiah, but that's just the way things go. Sometimes scoring goals is really hard and it doesn't happen very often. They still effectively played salt lake off of the field they yes. just you know scoring goals is hard they still managed to score more goals than salt lake did yeah and i i heard some fair debate as to, well, we can get into this later i don't want to get into the penalties yet we'll save the penalty talk for later in the show but this was you know the the stat that jumped out to me from this one was the sounders only gave up four shots uh one of those shots was the penalty and then the three other shots were all off corner kicks. If you do the math, you'll see that there were 0.0 expected goals from the run of play in this one uh, from RSL. That to me is very comprehensive. That's, that's a very, like it wasn't just that RSL wasn't creating good chances. They just weren't creating chances aside from uh, aside from, like corner kicks and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, after 
10 matches of not conceding goals from the run of play. The only place you can improve is to not concede shots from the run of play. Right. So we did it. We're we did getting it. better. We did it, people. Uh, yeah. It, and and like the, the centers didn't score as many goals as I think we would have all liked, but they created plenty of chances. Uh, the one that jumps out to me that they didn't complete was Jimmy Madranda's absolutely tasty ball over the top that just sits up perfectly. Raul Rui Diaz does all the hard work, touches it around David Ochoa. His eyes get probably as big as beach balls. He sees just him and one defender between him and the goal. And what does he do? Takes an extra touch. Uh, some defender comes in heroically and, and steals it away and ruins the, ruins the chance. But that was the kind of that was that felt like kind of how it was going through the first you know fifty eight minutes or so where they did everything right they they created a bunch of good chances and they just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net it was very frustrating. If we had drawn that match after Raúl not scoring on oh that open goal chance, I don't think I would sleep for a week. Yeah. So I'm really uh, glad we we didn't draw. Yeah, I I totally yeah. agree with you. I totally agree with you there. Uh, the, and then they did finally score in the 58th minute. And at that point I thought, I thought, okay, this is the, the floodgates are going to open. They're going to, they're going to win this game three zero and it's going to be, uh, laughing all the way to, uh, Saturday. But, uh, I, I, I do want to talk about that goal though. Jimmy Madranda, who I think had an absolutely stellar game in this one sets it up. He starts it by creating a turnover, uh, tackles, a tackle he wins it to jp jp pushes it forward and then being bang boom uh will bruin has a shot stopped but christian roldan is there to clean it up that was a great goal that was the kind of goal i think we've been waiting to see the center score for a few weeks it's a very soundersy goal i feel like we've seen that that play out quite a few times but usually nico's somewhere in there so right. i've I've just decided that in my head canon that play was intentional, that Will Bruin was trying to set Christian up for the shot by playing it off of the keeper, knowing that David Ochoa just isn't a great keeper and he was going to give up a rebound, that it was an alley-oop situation because uh, it happened so fast. Uh, and I just think that's a more fun retelling of the goal. So in my mind, that's how it happened. I don't think anyone would tell you you're wrong. No, it, the David Ochoa had a few moments in this one. Uh, so there was, I thought one of the funny things was that, so JP did score, or not JP, Raul Rui Diaz scores again. I think, would that have made it 2-0 or was that going to make it 2-1 when he scored his second goal with quotes around it? It was after they had tied, right? The handball goal. Maybe. I don't, I don't remember exactly. I don't think I have a very good sense of time. Yeah, well, anyway, David Ochoa made a point of like, telling Rolly, you can't do that you can't do that and then there was the whole madness about like on the penalty like what was a Choa doing he got a yellow card for delaying the re- the penalty what was that all about what was going on there what did he think he was going to do also how are you going to taunt Raul Rui Diaz right like, that's never gonna that's never going to go your way like it's no. always going to make it worse for you right I I know that David Ochoa was the person at the center of the controversy with RSL in Minnesota, yes. where he like kicked the ball into the stands Damn. and Minnesota yes. were really in their feelings about it. Um, 
he I mean he was time wasting when it was scoreless in the first half so I think that just is like that's his vibe he's an annoying little brother um I think we should take up a hobby maybe like crocheting or something just like take that energy put it into a fun tote bag because we don't need it yeah yeah and a tote bag's way more fun yeah I I totally agree uh and then but Rui Diaz does the like the thing that you got to do after someone tries to ice you is he just hits a panenka right down the middle uh I don't I don't know the last time I feel like Clint may have tried that a couple times but though I always think of Gonzo Pineda when when someone hits a panenka and the one that jumps out in my mind I know he did it a few times but the one that jumps out in my mind was a game down in Vancouver I want to say it was 2014 where the Sounders had been outplayed pretty badly and they got a penalty call very late in the game and was on the road and Gonzo stepped up and just penanked it penanked it penanked I don't know uh he he did the thing he hit, where the, he, he hit a penanka he hit a penanka I do not recall who got the picture but someone had a picture from like the opposite goal basically that was just from behind Pineda hitting the Panenka as it went in, that that picture was my phone wallpaper for oh, years. Nice. Yeah. Um, just, just incredible work. I feel like Raul doing that was sort of payback for, you know, on the open net that he got his pocket picked. I feel like he got stuck deciding which rude way of scoring that goal right. to do like, do I dribble in and embarrass the whole team or do I just like Blast trip it, it and embarrass just the keeper? Cause he got beat and then he tried to slap a ball in and that didn't work. And so he was yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to do the rudest thing left to me. And I'm going to hit a panenka after this guy tried to ice me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the funny thing about the, the handball goal was it was pretty blatant. Like I, I think everyone in the press box saw it like, and it was like he reached up with his left hand. Like someone, some people have said that he was being fouled as he did this, and I don't know. I honestly haven't gone back and taken that close of a look. But he he raises his hand up and he spikes it into the goal. Uh, but what's funny is one of our readers on Sounder at Heart actually found a video of him successfully scoring a goal with his hand uh, against Brazil for Peru, where it was kind of similar, where the ball was at his side and. You know, you at full speed, you could kind of be, you could be forgiven for thinking it came off of his belly, but they they had at least one angle that seemed to show pretty clearly he hit it with his hand. And then of course he scored he scored a ball with his hand for the Sounders earlier. It was much more accidental, but it was although now I'm wondering if it was uh, against the Timbers in 2018 playoffs. I don't know if that was before his wonderful. I think that would have equalized as well that one, but. uh he he's a he's a he's a hooker crook kind of goalkeeper. I like I got goal scorer. I like that. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right. Exactly. He's exactly. a crafty little guy. He's a crafty little guy. So that's a great transition. Crafty little guys. How about Jimmy Madranda yesterday? Jeremiah, did you know coming into this season that you would become the biggest Jimmy Madranda stan, or is this no. like a surprise to you? Total surprise. I was not ready to i was not ready for this at all uh 
I don't know if, if the listeners know a few of you, a lot of most of you don't know because otherwise they would have more than like a few dozen followers. But we started an account on t- on the Twitter uh, SA underscore gifts SA, of course, being sounder at heart. Uh, I guess I should change that. But anyway, I messed up when I typed it originally. But anyway, I kind of turned it into this like companion narrative of just gifts of the game. And I was really falling in love with Jimmy Madranda last night. Uh, that's what Beth is alluding to. But he, he was he was wonderful. He played 65 minutes. But that was the best left-back performance I think we've seen this year. And maybe for a few years. It was, like, at least since when Brad Smith was at his very best back in 2019, I guess it was. But that was, that was wonderful. I mean, I, I don't think Brad Smith at any point was as good on both sides of the ball right as madronda was last night that was an incredible performance he yeah he was tenacious yeah he was like an energizer bunny i mean the he had at least two or three situations where he lost the initial tackle and then came back and still won the ball uh and it, i just love to see him tracking back like that and i, I don't know i guess he, he might not be like straight line fast but he played as like he did everything. He got into all those spaces that a fast player you want a fast player getting into. And the other thing I liked, and we don't see from Brad Smith enough, is that he was willing to cut inside and take that interior run, which is something that Brad Smith has been really reluctant to do. He's found some success doing it on occasion, but he doesn't do it with any sort of regularity. And I felt like we saw Jimmy making that run constantly yesterday, and he was constantly finding himself into space. It felt like every dangerous chance the Sounders had, he was somehow involved in it. I think there's a lot of, and maybe just specifically with his speed and work rate, but there's a lot of Christian Roldan to Hmm. Jimmy Madronda that like neither of them are the fastest player on the field. If there's a scenario where they are, something has gone terribly wrong, but they're just not ever going to give up on a play. And there's so many situations where just that willingness to make a run and make it as hard as they possibly can is enough when, you know, a maybe faster player just isn't going to put it all in on defense and they can make that run and win a ball. And, you know, often enough that turns into a chance. Uh, And I think, the quality of those interior runs that Madronda was making, like that quality was on display when he was making them. And then was even more apparent when he came off and Brad Smith came on and Brad Smith, you know, makes runs faster, but the runs aren't as good and were often wasted runs where I think there were a few times where they could have had a, legit opportunity if brad smith made a better run and instead he just ran straight pretty fast and not in a way that helped anyone there was one play late in the game i don't exactly remember when it was but brad smith started to make one of these runs you're talking about gel paulo saw him was getting ready to pass it and then he just stops his run like he just decided he just decided like it wasn't on and i don't know what was and they ended up like recycling the ball and it ended up being nothing but it was like what it, like why are you stopping your like 
you have nothing to lose by just, just continue the run. Like if you don't get the ball, you don't get the ball. That's okay. Move the defenders, like make them react to your run. And instead he just kind of stops his run when he doesn't think he's getting the ball. And it's like, dude, like that's not, it's not really helpful. Uh, and like, I, and I hope, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to be like a Brad Smith hater. I think he's, he's done some good things this year. He's had some good games. He's like, I assume he's going to start on Saturday. If no other reason, then I don't know that Madronda is capable of starting two games on short rest. Uh, he's had a lot of fitness issues or a lot of health issues. I should say fitness implies something else, but he's had a hard time staying healthy. And so I don't know. I'm sure the Sounders are going to be careful with him, but I was very intrigued. And I think that this is potentially a, if the Sounders can upgrade one starting spot right in like the short term, that has the potential to be it. Yeah, I think if they can get Jimmy Madronda to a place where he can be a regular starter, that's a significant upgrade. Like yeah. I don't I don't think Brad Smith is bad at soccer, but I probably like if there is a Brad Smith haters camp, like I I probably am in it. Just because I, I've consistently been on the side of like I think Nuhu should start over Brad Smith. I think if he can consistently, Jimmy Madronda should start over Brad Smith. Like I, I think Brad Smith is good and he offers stuff that like there's just not a ton of fast players on the team right now, and sometimes having that speed is a huge asset. But for how the Sounders play right now, Jimmy Madronda is just a much better fit. And he's much more helpful, I think, in possession. I, that's the part that jumped out to me the most from this game was how much more combination play he's able to create with with the other players on the wing and in in the wide spaces. Uh, you know, I, I I really liked him. I'm I'm hopeful we see more of him. But let's be honest. I I know I said when Madrona came off that he'd been the Sounders' best player. That was a little tongue in cheek. I think the real answer to that was Jao Paulo, right? Like he was a monster yesterday. He didn't show up really on the score sheet. He didn't have an assist. He didn't have any goals, but man, you, you did a little bit of a rundown on some of his other stats, Tim. Uh, tell the listeners some of, some of that stuff. And I, and I'll, I'll supplement it with some other things I found out. Yeah. I, let me pull up that. So, Things that Joao Paulo led both teams in for that game were touches, where he had 111. That's a lot. The most, that's a lot. That yeah. is the two highest players in terms of touches from Salt Lake combined had 125. <laughs> like, He's like having an extra player on the field. Basically... So he had the most touches by a wild margin. He had the most passes with 86 and he completed 70 of those. That's like, no one even came close. He had the most tackles. He had five tackles. He had the most chances created with four. No other player had more than two. Uh, He just was unreal. He was so good that entire game. Yeah, he had, and then on top of that, he had four key passes, which are, sh- are shot passes that lead to shots. The thing that jumped out to me, I, and I found this out through, uh, you know, if you watch a, 
one of our listeners was able to compile like an all touches video, which I assume they must have second spectrum or something when service like that, or else they spent a lot of time compiling that video. Uh, they've uh, compiled like an every touches video of Xiao Paolo. It's nine minutes long, first of all. The thing is, I thought was funny about it is that a minute into the video, you're only five minutes into the game. It's like he touched the ball a lot. Uh, but if you watch that video, he had 19 line breaking passes, meaning a pass that like bypassed a line of defenders. And uh, so that ties the Sounders for the most that they've had in a season. The other guy who did that was a guy named Xiao Paolo against Austin. Uh, and then the third most that anyone's had is 10. That was also a Xiao Paolo game. But, and so that would give you a context for 19 is a lot. Uh, the, the sounder who had the next most was eight. And that was Christian rolled on. Uh, and that's considered a pretty solid game. But the other thing that was crazy. So um, stats bomb does this stat that's called progressive passing distance. And so basically they take the number of passes that you made that were up the field and they add all the yardage that you compiled. And uh, so he had 838 yards of progressive passing distance. Uh, best I can tell. And I don't know, I wasn't able to confirm this exactly, but best I can tell looking at like kind of hand checking, I think that's the highest amount of progressive passing distance that any player has had in MLS this year. And most of the guys on the top of the progressive passing lists are like goalkeepers and defenders. Cause they're just like booting the ball forward they're not midfielders who are like sliding the ball on the deck and and like setting up offensive plays like that but there's Jao Paulo is then on top of that he had five tackles uh he was 11 for 24 in pressures which is a, a very good success uh for for him uh for any midfielder but it was it it was it was just an absolutely masterclass performance but I think one of the things that maybe you guys can talk to a little bit more, how about his fit pregame? You know, I, I was going to try to transition by saying that he put in a real workman like <laughs> shift and he dressed for it before the game. Um, he is, he is sorry for blowing that for you. Oh, it's all good. He has fairly been given the nickname George Paolo. Uh, I guess maybe that's Jorts Paolo uh, with Brazilian Portuguese, but uh, yeah. I, you know, Spencer Hall, who is another SB Nation writer, has former, unfortunately. oh, former, I, yeah, RIP. Um, yeah. There is a, a sort of game that he and others play called Alabama or England. <laughs> and I felt like that fit was a perfect candidate for it. Um, I've, I've really, in texts and stuff, tried to find the best ways to describe it. Uh, it's real panhandle vibes, whether that's Texas, Oklahoma, or Florida. Uh, could easily be Ontario or Alabama. Um, the only thing for certain is wherever that outfit is from, they've got ATVs. <laughs> and... You know, just just an incredible look. You could convince me if you're going with the England side of the equation that he's about to go on Love Island. He's a scaffolder, and I need to watch out for him. So, what would you? How would you just? We haven't actually described what he was wearing. I feel like some of our listeners are going to be really like thrown for a loop. What would you just like? How would you break down? Do either one of you want to take a shot at breaking down that fit? 
Well, uh, for starters, he, uh, Joao has rejected the five inch shorts idea <laughs> and went in the complete opposite direction. Um, they're about as long as you can get shorts to be without turning into capris. <laughs> that helps your your visualization. Yeah, I mean, I... It's knee length denim shorts, jorts, if you will, a t-shirt and what a I'm t- it was like a t-shirt like a like not a not like a graphic print like just like, like some designer shirt right like tea. a with like a little pocket logo yeah i think it has palm trees on it mm. oh uh and then like all black air jordans but they have a very strong like all black Air Force Ones vibe, which is a very specific energy from a shoe, which really, like, that should have been the signal to RSL to just not mess with Jao Paulo. Like, yeah, he was come, he, he came to work. If you see a person in all black Air Force Ones, you just need to like walk on the other side of the road. Yeah. Um, he he played like a guy who was wearing black all black Air Force ones too. Like he he was not having any of the guff. No, he he really showed up to make sure that they were not going home with a disappointing result. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but I could definitely see Clint Dempsey wearing this and it having a oh, similar effect. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That may actually be where he got that outfit from. Yeah, he he went to North Carolina and said, Clint, I need you to hook me up with a fit. What can you do? Okay, am I using that word right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Uh, but I was, what I, the thing that I remarked on was that I felt like it could have been something I wore in 2001 on a trip to Europe. And I would have had a big, heavy backpack. And except for I would have had like scragglier hair and probably like a, like a soul patch beard thing going. I mean, in, in George Paolo's defense, the like maximalism of the cuts of things from the early 2000s is definitely like sort of a thing again. I don't okay. think that look is, but like bigger shorts are weirdly a thing as much as the five inch inseam short is super a thing right now yeah i gotta tell you i was i i was wearing some shorts uh today that came down over my knee and i've never felt like um embarrassed about my shorts being too long like that's just not a thing like i come from a you know i'm old i i'm 43 so i grew up when short shorts were like short like in your thigh, like, like, right. Like that was, and so like the way we rebelled against that was like, you know, we wore our shorts really low. And so I've never been self-conscious about that, but now I am. I, and I, today I was like, these shorts are too long. I can't wear these anymore. Uh, I, they've definitely gone out of style. Uh, so I'm going to have to do some refining to my, my wardrobe. Uh, but I think what the kicker of this is that Xiao Paolo's like got a pretty good scent. Like he's, he's had some good looks pregame. Like, it's not like he's some dude who doesn't know how to dress. Right. Yeah. This look was frankly shocking to me. Yeah. But, uh, 
maybe maybe Joao Paulo just is not typically a shorts guy, and the weather was getting to him. I don't know. He, I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I would love the backstory. I, I don't know that Joao Paulo is the kind of guy who's gonna be able to break that down for us or want to break that. He probably can break it down. I don't know that he's inclined to. But if I, I if I, that's something we'll have to look into. But uh, a monster performance. I can't believe we spent. 15 minutes talking about his uh, look. I'm sure that's going to drive some... We didn't spend 15 minutes on it. I'm sure that will drive some of you crazy. I hope most of you enjoyed that. But do we have any other observations from that game that were maybe less fashion? Oh, no. We did have one. Before we move on, Beth, we had one more fashion observation you wanted to make for sure, because it's worth bringing up on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, Alex Roldan um, matched the print of his shirt to the print on his socks, and it is so fun. It is it's a great shirt too. The best. I think it's from Macklemore's brand because he looked up like Jordan and Christian and Alex, and I think mm. Brad maybe. Um, but those influencers. It, uh, so good influencing. It is, it is from Macklemore's brand because Alex reshared it on Instagram. I dropped this tidbit in the live blog. Uh, the brand is called Bogey Boys. It's a quote unquote golf and lifestyle clothing brand. And they're like all of the stuff that they do has this not quite polka dot motif. Mm. So the socks and the t-shirt, they have like shorts and pants. So you could go head to toe in the polka dots. <laughs> oh um, I, yeah, I assume he did not pay for that outfit. Well, it's a, it was, it was a good look, uh, but I don't know. Uh, do we have anything non-fashion? I, now we can move on to non-fashion oriented <laughs> stuff. Were there any other stand? I felt bad for Will. I got to say that like he, he finally got himself into good shooting positions. The l- ball he had from Christian was about as good of a look as you're going to get. He put it on frame. He forced a save, ended up in as a goal, but you could just see that reaction where his like smile and just like nothing is going right for me right now. Yeah, he, I mean, he had another really good game where he just doesn't come away with any sort of assist or goal. Uh, He did get a couple looks. I know he had the one where he, I think we discussed it in the press box. He was right to be selfish with it. He maybe could have made a pass, but he took a guy on and he took a shot and the shot got deflected. Um, He made really good runs all night and was consistently the person getting on the ends of balls from Joao Paulo or Jimmy Madronda. Um, yeah, he's he's got to get his soon. I Fingers crossed it comes on Saturday. He deserves it. Yeah, he, he's been, he has been good. And uh, I, I hope people aren't, I, I know he's feeling like he's snake bitten. So hopefully that ends soon, uh, sooner than later. Uh, I guess the other thing worth discussing, what did either one of you make of the penalties after the emote? I know in the press, the funny thing was in the press box, I had the same reaction to Beth on Twitter, which was that is not a penalty. How dare you? And then I watched the replay a couple times and I said, Oh yeah, that's probably a penalty. You could convince me that it is a penalty and convince me that it's not a penalty. And I think you could do the same thing for every MLS ref. Um, so, I mean, I'm keeping that tweet up there. I still don't think it's a hundred percent a penalty, but like, I'm not super mad anymore that it got called. I'm fine. In case anyone was wondering, I'm okay. And and there was karmic retribution 
when like again i don't i don't think that's a penalty that's going to get called every single time uh i think the sounders got a little lucky they made their own luck on it though i i, I think that's key there right you you forced you forced rsl into some awkward defending and their guy was waving his arms around like a maniac and his arm was very high it was it was like, high honestly if the ball gets anywhere near your arm and it's like you're trying to answer a question in class like <laughs> it's just like not gonna end well for you right yeah i think i think both penalties were of the sort that if it gets called against your team you yes. are reasonably upset and like that's not a penalty that's never right. a penalty but if you are the team getting the pk like of course it's a penalty how could it not be that's so right. clear if you watch the review like i you know it sucks it's weird the sounders have given up a oddly large number of penalties four. so far yeah they've given um, call for four penalties this year only one of them ironically one of them was really clear and that was the one they saved yeah the one on o'neill against timbers was a very obvious penalty and that was the one that they they actually saved it when well, they kept it out twice um but yeah it's been they four penalties is a lot it's I'll give you some context the sounders only got called for five penalties last year and that was a shortened season obviously but they like four or five is like a season's worth of penalties that most teams will allow well uh, maybe we've gotten them all out of the way that and would... we didn't lose any of the games so now no more penalties ever again and we win all the rest of the games i like that logic a lot i think it's solid i yeah. can't find any flaws there absolutely so. none no, I think that's that's such a good place to end it too. I think because that is we're not going to get better than that. So yeah, uh, we'll probably be back soon, and I'll be hopefully previewing the Whitecaps game with someone. Uh, but for now, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan uh, signing off for Tim Foss and Beth Mantle. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>